Thank you, Brooke, for uh, stepping up today. Great job, band. Great job, uh, worship team. And y'all pray for uh, Ashley. She's up there in the top with Steve. And uh, she has uh, something going on with her throat. So y'all pray for her. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And I want to also recognize and say congratulations to uh, Will Daniel and Alexis Swafford for becoming engaged. Hold that big ring up, girl. Hold it up. Let it shine. All right. So proud of these guys. I want to talk to you today, kind of release a, a, a sermon series that we've been praying about for, for some time. And it's entitled Overcomer. Overcomer is maybe a little bit of a, of a tease as to what that means. Because I think when you first think of it, you think about it as someone who has overcome. Let me tell you what an overcomer is not. An overcomer is not someone who has arrived spiritually. An overcomer is not someone who has figured it out. It's not someone who's cornered the market on, on, on trials and, and triumph. An overcomer is not someone who has landed in a place of safety and security where they're exempt from the trials that you and I face every single day. In fact, the Bible says, and this is something I think we need to say in the church a little louder, is that you will have difficulties in this life. If you're with me, say amen. You understand that being in this life, we're in human flesh, we're in a mortal body, and until we put on immortality, we're going to strive, we're going to run the race, we're going to have uh, difficulties, we're going to suffer defeat. And if I could just be real honest with you today, I've seen those things. I've seen defeat. I've suffered great loss. I too have been on that place where my faith was tried and tested to a point where I literally could have stepped. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. I could have stepped this way and fell off of the cliff, perhaps completely and utterly separated from faith in Christ. And yet I've also been in that place where I could just take one step back and fall into the embrace of Christ and realize that my hope is a blessed hope. My hope is going to make me not ashamed. That there is something, watch this, there's something in trusting, watch this, leaning into the Lord with all of your heart. Trusting not in yourself, but leaning into Him. And watch this. He will be the one to guide your steps. He will be the one to direct your path. An overcomer, my friend, is not someone, someone who has come out of something, landed in this place, and then they can look back and say, man, I remember back there. No, no, no. An overcomer is realizing that we're going to have difficulty. Our back will be against the wall. And you will be navigating through the rhetoric of life, the difficulty, the loss that even still presents itself in our life. And just knowing, however, watch this, that I'm placing my faith and my hope, a selfless, hopeless abandon. I'm stepping in the arms of Christ and I'm saying, may your grace be sufficient for every need. Mark, how do you say that? Second Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul prayed a prayer. He said, Lord, I pray that he would deliver me from this thorn in my flesh. I don't know what it was. There's a lot of suspicions that maybe he'd been losing his eyesight. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But we know that it was big enough that the Apostle Paul, who wrote nearly two-thirds of the New Testament, was in a place where he prayed three times. And he cried out to God, if you will, for him to deliver him of whatever this was that was ailing him because he felt it was big enough that it was preventing him from doing the things that, watch this, God had called him to do. And the Bible says something profound. And if we miss this little tidbit golden nugget of, of Scripture, we miss one of the greatest truths found in having an overcoming faith. Jesus told him no. Jesus says, I'm not going to deliver you from this thorn in your flesh. Well, wait a minute, Mark. That's not, that's not the God we serve. That's not why I go to church. I'm not, I'm not coming to church so that God can tell me what everyone else tells me. No. Well, see, sometimes God says yes, and he gives you exactly what you ask. We see that in the person of Jabez. He prayed a prayer, and the Bible says, and God granted him that which he requested. End of story, wonderful prayer. That's the way we want our prayer lives to happen. 
And then we see in John chapter 11, they were crying out, praying for God to come, Jesus to come into Bethany because Lazarus was sick. You know what he said there? He didn't say yes, he didn't say no. He said, wait. That is one of the biggest four-letter curse words in our economy. Would you agree to that? We don't want to wait. God, give me patience. Can I tell you, if you're praying for patience, he'll make you what? Say it with me. He'll make you wait. And the reality is, sometimes we wait. Why? Why would God say wait? If I'm crying out to God, Joy, and say, I want God to move now, because if you move now, I'm going to come out of this, and I'm going to be greater, God. I don't need you to wait. I need you to move now. Is anybody in the house just needs God to move now? Watch this. Why did he wait? I submit to you that the greater blessing was not Jesus dropping everything, moving over to Bethany, and healing Lazarus of his sickness. But watch this. He waited until he was dead and in the grave. Four days, all hope was gone. Then he stepped out on the scene and said, Lazarus, come forth. See, he never would have sensed the resurrection power, the healing power from death unto life, if he'd have just healed him when he was sick. Amen? See, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says wait. And sometimes, just like we see the Apostle Paul, he says no. Why? Because he said this to Paul. I'm not going to deliver you from anything, but my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. He says it's enough. And that when you're weak, yet my strength is made perfect. You see, it's all about Jesus' strength being made perfect in you. Can I tell you how that happens? In our weakness. Let me read a scripture to you, Philippians 3 real quick. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 and 16. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Listen, listen to the words of this. The Apostle Paul, a man who I think we could say had done some pretty incredible things. And he had just spent 11 verses talking about knowing Christ, suffering loss for Christ's sake, counting everything that he got outside of Christ as dung or as something not worth even talking about. And watch what he says. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on. Everybody say press on. But I press on to possess or to hold on to that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. You don't have Christ in your life today because you grabbed on to him. Oh, no, no, no. You were running from him. You have Christ in your life today because he first possessed you. He reached down and grabbed you. Watch this. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Paul was saying, I've not arrived. But I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which Christ Jesus has called. How does he do that? He says, forgetting the past. Look at that verse before us. Forgetting the past and looking forward to the things which lie ahead, pressing on to the high calling which is in Christ Jesus. And then look at, look at this last verse. He says, let all who are spiritual and mature agree on these things. If you disagree on these things, watch this. I believe God will make Make it plain to you. I, l- I love that. I would love to be able to say that. Hey, if y'all disagree with me, a preacher, I just pray that God gets your heart right and you understand that I'm right. That's what he was saying. He says, God will make it plain to you, but we must, watch this, this is where I want to land today, but we must hold on to the progress that we have already made. God's doing the work. Today, I'm so honored to introduce to you, to our Northridge Church family, Mr. Scott Story. If y'all would please make Scott Story welcome. Come on now, if you're going to do it, do it. Let's stand up and give him... The honor he deserves. Thank y'all so much. God bless you. You may be seated. I, um, most of you know, and I, I'm so thankful to uh, businesses uh, that have really reached out and made us aware of uh, this month. September is the month for uh, a cure, finding a cure for awareness for childhood cancer. And um, I, as I began to pray about this overcoming series, God led me to Scott and uh, 
we'll share a little bit about what went on in, in, in mine and his relationship and how God allowed me to be a part of, of their story in a very, very small way. But I uh, wanted to talk to you today and want to ask Scott a few questions. And Scott, take us back, if you will, to the early parts of, of Bo's life and, and, and your, your life together uh, leading up to that point where your whole world shifted. Uh, Bo was born, you know, a normal kid, just like a, a lot of your children. He was a happy little boy. Uh, we did the normal family things, uh, just went out uh, to the park. I'd walk him around Silvertown. We lived in Silvertown, uh, you know, just, just looking forward to, looking looking ahead at, at the things we were going to do as he, as he grew up and grew older. And uh, it was just an, it was an amazing thing until he was uh, a 20, 23 months old. Um, we noticed uh, he was a little off balance, but it, he's not quite two years old yet, so kids are still learning to walk, so we didn't question that. And he had some uh, projectile vomiting, which when I say projectile, I'm going to be graphic with you guys today because y'all are sitting here listening to me. Um, it was across the table, um, shot straight across the table, never seen anything like it. And we thought it was acid reflux. A lot of children these days suffered for, suffer from acid reflux. We took him in. Our doctor, uh, gracious, gracious doctor, and I will name him because his daughter's here today, Dr. Delegati. Uh, we owe him so very much. Um, Gave us two more years with Bo because of these tests because there are horrible stories of misdiagnosis all the time. Um, he said, uh, well, Bo's dehydrated today, and, and this is why Bo's running out around on the front porch of uh, Dr. Delegati's office. Uh, Bo's dehydrated. We need to put him in the hospital, and uh, we're going to run some tests. Uh, we kept us overnight. The next morning, he's still vomiting. There's no diarrhea, so we're not, no fever. We're not thinking stomach virus. And he said... Uh, I'm going to do an upper GI. If that comes back negative, uh, I'll just do a CT scan just to be on the safe side. We did the upper GI, which is quite fun with an almost two-year-old. If you've never had that privilege, I hope you never do because forcing that stuff down his throat, he did not like that. But uh, we did the CT scan, came back negative. We did a, uh, I mean, the, excuse me, the upper GI. We did the CT scan, and they let me carry Bo back up, which I look back now and understand why. They usually don't let you carry a child back up. They, uh, liability reasons, they roll you back up in the wheelchair. Uh, about, I'd say, 20 to 30 minutes later, Dr. Delegati walks into the door. Movie cars is playing, Disney, Disney Pixar cars. He came in and he fumbled with it trying to turn it down. The volume switch didn't work. I said, don't worry about it. I said, he'll probably get mad anyway because you're trying to turn it down. And then he sat down on the bed and he had a look. I don't really want to see anymore, I don't think. Um, and he said, I just don't know how to tell you guys. And he started crying. He said, Bo has a brain tumor. And things are fixing to start moving really fast. He gave us a second to process it, but there wasn't really, there's no processing that. Um, he said things are fixing to move quickly. Within about 20 minutes of that, there was a life flight team from Children's Healthcare to fly us to Atlanta to begin this journey with cancer. And that was a, a, a journey that nobody, I would wish on nobody. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. We, we got up there, Bose and surgery actually. My Bo's mom rode on the helicopter. They had a trainee pilot at the time, and I couldn't ride on the helicopter. And I'm standing there with the fire department, and I look over and I say, why are you guys here? And he goes, just in case. I'm like, oh, it might crash. Well, now there's another worry. So I watch the helicopter take off with my ex-wife and my son, and I go home to pack clothes, call my parents. My parents come and get me because I'm in no condition to drive. I, if I would have driven to Atlanta, I probably wouldn't have made it. Um, we get to the hospital, of course, can't find Bo. He's in a surgery to relieve pressure on his head. He had so much pressure built up, he would have died before that coming Monday. This was a Friday. So Dr. Delegati gave us two more years. I always give that credit to Dr. Delegati. Um, 
And that's when our cancer journey began with Bo. I know that uh, I, as, as a pastor, um, many other pastors locally, as well as the community, the, the uh, trademark Be Bo Strong came out and everybody just kind of uh, praying and bombarded heaven. How did your journey change your, your personal life? I'm not even really talking about your faith, but like you had a job. I mean, I know when we came up there, Tyler and I came up there to bring y'all, I think, a Thanksgiving meal one time. Y'all just lived up there. <clears throat> Talk a little bit about that. Well, I was. Uh, it actually became a blessing at the time. I remember uh, I was working at a, a company in Griffin, and I got laid off. That night, uh, I got home, and I was working second shift, and I came home crying. I said, I don't know what we're going to do. I got laid off. And, and Bo's mom was like, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. That was in May. Bo was diagnosed in August. Uh, so it actually ended up being a blessing in disguise because I was able to be there during his treatment, uh, be next to his side because I wouldn't have had it any other way. Even if I'd had a job, I'm, I wouldn't have had it long because there's no way. Bo was my life. Uh, I grew up without a father figure until I was 12, and so I wanted to be the dad that I had never known. I wanted to be that daddy, and I was trying my best to be that dad, and, and I wouldn't have had it any other way, and that was a blessing from God in that way. And it was just... It was a long journey. You guys, of course, we were the in, inpatient for eight and a half months, the first, uh, the first part of his journey. And, and the hospital became our home. You guys brought us Thanksgiving dinner. They, kind of, they came to Eggleston. They weren't able to go back when we were at Eggleston because stem cell transplants, it's a, it's a very, uh, um, what's the word? I can't think of it. Clean environment. So not very many people can go into that area. It's bone marrow transplants, stem cell transplants. So they'd come up there and pray with us. And, and they, Mark was on the journey. Uh, pretty much through the whole time, and it's just a uh, it was a uh, it was a blessing for me not to have a job at the time. Of course, once Bo got better and I got home, I did get another job. Worked at Small World Childcare, working with children, which which I enjoy that. But uh, it was it was it was a blessing in disguise. Now, <clears throat> just again knowing you guys and and coming up there, and there was a few times we did get to go back and and see uh, Bo, and and I remember. I, I, there must have been 200 uh, animals. There was there was TV. He he loved watching the the Pixar movies. Cars was on every time I went up there. But um, watching all of that as a dad and and having to navigate through that, um, how did this affect your faith and even your view towards Christ, towards God? Dads are the part of the family that that protect. We we protect. That's our job. That's exactly what we were supposed to do. And when something like this happens, uh, we're helpless. And at the beginning, I, I don't think I had time at the very beginning to really question it. It was just prayer, prayer, prayer. That's where Bo's journey became public. We started using Facebook and a, and a site called Caring Bridge to uh, get prayers for Bo. And then it came from the state, the nation, and all over the world. But as time went on, Bo's mom's faith grew. But as, as, as surgeries went on and chemotherapy started and I saw the things he's going through, the why me started, or why not me. Uh, I can I can vividly remember it was at Christmas time. I was down standing at the bottom of the driveway at Scottish Rite, and they they put this this Christmas tree on top of one of these buildings. It's just light strung on a pole. And I remember standing there, and I'm praying to God at Christmas time. Please take me. Please let Bo live. He does not deserve this. I've lived more than enough time. My son does not deserve this. And I I think uh, as the journey went on, my faith definitely started sliding. Uh, Bo's mom's kept growing and growing and mine I just kept questioning too much uh, why Bo why all these other children why am I seeing children die I shouldn't be in this environment and it wasn't a selfish reason nobody should be it's not just me nobody should be in that position 
to watch children die. That's not right. That's not the natural order of things. And it went on, and, and finally Bo reached a, a point where his body just couldn't hang on anymore. Everything, the, the cancer had spread into his liver and, and into his spinal fluid, and his, he, he was more than strong enough, but his body wasn't. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on this. This is a very emotional part for, for people when I tell them. Uh, the day Bo died, he was sitting on the sofa sitting up. I remember uh, Brittany was laying on him not laying on him, laying next to him. There was a chair set in front of him. During the day, friends and family had come by to say their goodbyes and everything. Well, finally, when the time came, uh, I was sitting in front of him. One of his eyes wouldn't shut all the way because he was paralyzed on one side of his face. So I sat there, and, and my thought in mind was, I want him to know that I'm there until the end. And the hardest, <laughs> well, I'm getting affected. I've gotten so used to talking about this, I don't, I don't, I don't get affected by it much, sadly. But... Uh, Sitting in front of him uh, and telling your child, it's okay, go on to heaven. I'll be there in a little while. It's, that's tough. That's uh, the toughest thing I ever had to do. And uh, so and, and I watched it. I watched his eye dilate. I was there until his heart quit beating. And I held him and, until uh, the funeral home came and picked him up. Um, after that, well, that's when the, when the, we'll call it the dark side, with all the Star Wars out now, we'll call it the dark side came in. Um, there was no reason, which Mark and I talked about this in the last couple of weeks, there, there's not a reason that you could justify why Bo's gone. Don't, don't sit there and tell me God has a plan. I know he does, but I will not understand that until I go to heaven. Come on, Bo, that's right. I, I, I fell in a really dark hole for quite a while. I was like, you know, there's no God. This has got to be science. This is, there's no God because... It just there's no point in taking my child from me, and I don't want any other children taken. But the things I've seen, how can how can he let stuff like this happen? Mm -hmm. And and I started going down a road. I, I I drank a little bit. I didn't become an alcoholic by any means, but I went back on my party stage. I, w I went through that in college, and and I just there was no there was nothing fulfilling about that for me. It was just kind of hiding everything, I guess. I was having a good time, but once I'd come home, I just cry, there'd be nights I'd cry, there's things like that, there's, there's all kinds of dark th thoughts that happen. Well then, finally, I see a little bit of light with the Bowen Story Fund. The Bowen Story Fund is probably my saving grace because helping others seems to be a, a very fulfilling thing for me and it just seems like the right, things, the right thing to do, but uh, my faith no doubt was shaken and to this day, I'm still coming back. I'm by no means, don't let me sit up here and be high and mighty, Mr. Mr. Perfect Christian up here, because I'm still coming back from it. Amen. But my, my faith is there because I can see it working through other children. I see it through working with other people. I see it through me talking about Bo and touching people. And that's what it's about. If I touch one person a day, I'm, I'm doing my job today. Amen. And then tomorrow I've got another job because I've got to post. I make posts on Facebook all the time about my emotional journey. But... Those dark, dark, those dark moments were there for a while, and and it was very, very emotional for me. You guys have heard me say this if you've been around me for a while. As a young preacher, affected, impacted, um, literally challenged by my stories, like Bo's story. Um, and 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 again, you heard Scott say it just straight from from his own mouth. That you know, when you get into that situation, you you don't just share a verse. You know, hey, hey, Scott, you know, all things work together for good. You, you don't do that. You, you begin to get on the ground and cry with them. You begin to get in the trenches and pray on their behalf. And, 
And uh, as that happens, and, and, and even hearing you say uh, you're angry, I mean, there was a point where you were literally angry at God. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. And, and, and sadly, there's still a little bit of anger there, and I'm trying my best to get rid of it. But it's really hard when you watch your child go through it, and then I see, I see other children go through it. I've lost, I can tell you, out of all the kids I've met, and I'm just throwing a percentage out there because there, there's so many I've met. Out of that, there might be 20% of them that are still alive. Wow. The childhood cancer rates I see, the numbers I see go around, I don't see that from our friends. And and seeing children go through that just is, 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 is horrifying. But I'll get to a second about how much hope comes out of it. But it, it's it's a it's a horrible thing and, and it takes a toll on you as a parent it takes a toll on people I don't have the same friends I had before yeah. I mean I, my whole total life is totally different now it changes absolutely everything around you and, and let's just kind of transition to that um, when and I think we have a misnomer and, and almost feel sacrilegious when we say we're angry at God but here's the, the reality and I, and I shared this with, with Scott early on God knows your heart, and he knows your, your humanity and your weaknesses, and he knows your anger, and it's okay to tell him that. In fact, I'd submit to you, uh, church, that it's it's a good thing. It's healthy because out of that has come the uh, Bowen Story Fun, uh, a newfound faith walk, uh, an overcoming walk, if you will. Tell us about that and what impact that's making now and what's going on in your life. The, the Bowen Story Fun, actually, we had thought about it when Bo was doing well before he relapsed with cancer, and it was a, it was a plan we wanted to do because... Tomston and his community came together and raised over $10,000 for us not too, a couple months after Bo was diagnosed. With that, we were able to pay our rent and our bills and everything up for over a year. And that gave us no worries. We had absolutely nothing to worry about while we were in the hospital, and that was fantastic. And then we had a car donated to us. There were so many people that came together for us. It just was the right thing to do for us. And I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't say that everybody needs to do it, but it was the right thing for us to give back. Well... When Bo died, I think that week, actually, the planning was started. People were working everywhere. I know my, my stepdad was working. We had other people. We were grouping together trying to figure out how we can get this thing going. And finally, we had our first meeting. Uh, everything was kind of gelling. And, and finally, we were able to settle uh, with Jay's Hope as a name to fund because becoming a foundation, a 5013C is extremely complicated, and I understand why because there's so many funds that are misused. I make absolutely nothing off this. If you see the car I drive, most of you, a lot of y'all know me. I'm, I, I'm not a rich man by any means. But, uh, you know, it's hard to prove where the funds are going, so you have to prove that to the government. But... We, we kept pushing, we kept going, we finally figured out how we were going to help, where we're going to donate to research, because we wanted to research, because can't, childhood cancer research is vastly underfunded. I'm not going to throw out too many statistics, but I know I got some buddies over there, they'll definitely preach it. Uh, if you ever see the hashtag more than 4% during this month, National Cancer Institute only donates 4% to childhood cancer research. There's so many private organizations like Cure Childhood Cancer that we're partnered with now, Rally Foundation, that donate to research. The government doesn't seem to care about children. They don't, they don't vote. They don't make money for the government except through pharmaceutical companies. So I don't, I don't want to get on that war horse because that's a whole other different story. But we decided that we wanted to be able to still connect with families, still meet with families, because that was the people that we were with for eight and a half months straight the first time. The second time we were at Eggleston, we were there for, I think, a month or two. We were with these families and see what they needed, and we knew that... that 
doctor's appointments weekly, bi-weekly. Uh, I mean, you can have two, three doctor's appointments in one week. It, when, when, you, when you're at home, this is just at home. This isn't, you know, stuff's going on. You've got to be checked when you're, when you're not on treatment for steroid levels and stuff like that. And, and the reason I'm saying that, because I've got a special guest I'll introduce later on, but, but they know this. They're going through it again. And there's a lot of costs that people don't realize. We had the support of Thompson. We were extremely blessed for that. And I, and I still praise God and praise all of y'all because this community comes together when people need it. Um, there was uh, quite a few families that they were fighting this battle and they didn't have anybody. They'd have maybe a few visitors. Uh, they didn't make their public battle like, or their battle public like we had. And they didn't have any support. And we were just totally blessed. So we thought we could provide gas cards, meal cards, grocery cards. That's one way because the financial, I, I think in 2010 from, it was maybe February to May when we got out of the hospital or January to May. Just in that time on hospital food, we finally started saving, saving receipts was over $2,200. And that's just from, from eating at the hospital in the cafeteria. So that, that's a, a big deal. The gas money, especially living as far away as we do from Atlanta, because there's Thomaston's not really equipped for, for pediatric cancer. Uh, so we have to go to all the specialists up there. There's the gas. The grocery store cards help because if they're inpatient, they can go buy something to eat in their room. They can, they can do that. And we also provide uh, lodging for 50 miles away or farther from treatment. Uh, the reason that is is because we were blessed enough, my aunt, the first day we went in the hospital, she put us on this list. It was the Mother Martha Stovall, am I right with that? The Martha Stovall Foundation out of Atlanta. They uh, owned some apartments right across the street from Scottish Rite. Well, she put us on that list. And I remember saying to her, we're not going to need an apartment. Why would we need an apartment up here? I had no idea the journey we were going on. And we were blessed enough to get that apartment. It was mainly used for storage, and my parents would come up and stay there. That way they didn't have to buy hotel rooms and stuff. The first, the, that was through the first journey of eight and a half months. When we started radiation, we didn't feel comfortable being here in case there was an emergency situation. So we had another foundation that paid part of our rent. We had to come up with the rest, and we had an apartment about two miles away from Scottish Right. That way, if there was an emergency situation with the, Bo's health, we'd be close by and we could be there. That's where the lodging came from. I know we've housed a few fi uh, families at Duke University that have gone up there for trials, and it's just... It, it just it's just the right thing for us to do and that way we can carry on Bo's legacy because it's all it's all about helping people but being Bo's daddy it's a selfish reason because I want his name to live on long after I'm gone because this is not about me I don't know if his picture's been up there or not but it's all about Bo and it's about God working through me to use Bo's name uh, to help folks that, that, that's, that's Mr. Incredible right there that's my boy I can't look too much I'll get tear-eyed I um I wonder can so you proud. I know right <laughs> when I went up to see, when I went up to see him he uh he really paid me absolutely no attention he was into the movies but um your life um, and I say this with utmost respect your your life has been a testimony to so many people uh, again one of the reasons that I feel God laid this on my heart to share this story is because. I see you as an overcomer, not someone who has arrived, not someone who has made all the peace they need to in their faith walk, but an overcomer who is saying, I refuse for this thing to let me get down so far that I don't press on to the mark. 
I would say that this is a platform that Scott never signed up for, but it's a platform that God has given him nonetheless. And the difference that they're making in the lives of other people and children who are having this same journey to begin again, as Scott said, to directly impact them right where they are at the local level, that's what the Bowen Story Fund is about. And we're going to take up a special offering uh, in just a minute. You can just make all the checks out to uh, Northridge Church. We're going to put some money with it. We're going to, we want to do our very best. We did this last year with the support of uh, local cancer, women's cancer, breast cancer awareness. And, and I believe that this is what God has called the church to do, is to take a stand and to drive that line between community, civic, faith, um, business, schools, whatever the case may be. So I want you to be thinking about that. But coming out of this story... And you've heard Scott's uh, story. I want to. I want to just kind of place that where you guys are, because I think we would be remiss if we didn't take and apply that to where you are. There are many of you in this room today. Praise God, you will never go through what this dear family has gone through. That alone is worth saying, God, you're worthy. But there's others of you that are going through things in your own right. You're going through tragic depression right now in this room. You're going through marital, complete marital disarray. Your children, some of you don't, don't know why your children won't get into church. They won't get into church. You're, some of you are experiencing financial difficulty. Others of you are, in a, in a way, maybe like, like Scott, you're angry at God about other things. But can I tell you something? God has never left you nor forsaken you. He will not abandon you. It goes against the grain of God to leave you hopeless and helpless. In fact, I, I submit to you, and I say this in respect, great respect to the families that are here today, Scott included. There are times where he's doing something great behind the scenes that you may never understand this side of eternity. He tells us that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So maybe you, you, you came today to hear a story from, from Scott and about the Bowen Story Fund. Praise God if you did. But I ask you, what, what is God saying to you through this story? What is God speaking into your heart about right now as to where you are through the overcoming faith that Scott's having to walk on right now in his life journey? Because the reality is it's appointed unto man, the Bible says, wants to die. There's an appointment, and I don't care if you're laid everywhere you go. That's one appointment you will make. God knows when every single one of us are going to make that appointment to go be with him. But the reality is what do I do in the right now? Some of you have your backs against the wall. There's a lot of us that are feeling that way. And I want you to know God's a lifter of your head. I want you to know that God's called you and I to be an overcomer. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads all over the room as the band comes. What is God saying to you today? Through a testimony of a man that no doubt has seen incredible loss. Yeah, I was mad with God. Yeah, I was, I was struggling in my faith. But God's called me to a work to perpetuate the story of this amazing little boy. That is an overcoming faith. Today, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, how long are you going to continue to kick against the pricks, the Bible says, to kick against the drawing of the Holy Spirit, to just surrender that situation that is literally crippling you? For some of you today, it may be a, a faith in knowing that you can be saved despite all the hardship and the difficulty and the raw and the ugly in your life. Can I tell you, the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short the glory of God. We're all failures. We've all broken God's heart. 
But he died for that sin. He died for the dirt of the world. He died for the brokenness. He died for the reprobate. He died for the, the, the murderers. He died for everything. And the Bible says the wages of that sin is death. That's what we deserve. But he took your place that you may have life eternal. The gift of God is eternal life. Whosoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. I wonder would there be somebody in the congregation today that came and now God is speaking to your heart. He wants to save you right now. If you want to do that right now and you want to make certain that you have eternity, the blessed hope, Jesus is the Lord of your life. Just pray with me right now from your heart to God. Right here, right now. Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. I know that I have failed you. I've broken your heart. But today I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of all of my sin. I ask you to clean me from the inside out. I ask you, Jesus, to save me. To be the Lord of my life.